Wasn't worship great? I find that an interesting sort of thing sometimes, eh? Wasn't worship great, like? You know, when worship is great, it means that we've taken our eyes off ourselves. You know, sometimes we go, oh, God's presence was here, and it's true. His presence is beautiful. And some Sundays we might go, well, I don't really feel God's presence. He's always, he's always here. Just some days we haven't taken our eyes off ourselves long enough to see that he's here. Yeah. He is good. He is good. Yeah. So we're starting our, our new series, um, Bearing Witness. And I just want to start this morning just with um, opening in prayer, if that's okay. With, uh, I know we've, we've taken a little bit longer with everything this morning, but let's continue to pray. <laughs> Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that your presence is uncomplicated. Yeah, I thank you that your presence is not complex. Yeah, I thank you that we did not have to jump through hoops to meet with you this morning. Thank you that your presence is not confusing. I thank you, Father, that you do not transact in manipulation. I thank you that you love to be with us. Father, we love to be with you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love that is transforming us. And we thank you that it is not about us. It's the moment we make it about ourselves, we wreck it. Your presence is about what you want to do in this world. So help us this morning, Father, to see you clearly. To see what you want to do in us and through us for your glory. Yeah, we thank you, Father. Amen. A guy called Alexander uh, Schmemann, it's an interesting name, eh? Schmemann. Alexander Schmemann, he said this. He said, there is no point in converting people to Christ if they do not convert their vision of the world and of life, since Christ then becomes merely a symbol for all that we love and want already without him. This kind of Christianity is more terrifying than agnosticism or hedonism. See, the Christian faith is actually a complete upheaval of how we see. The Christian faith is supposed to be a total reformation of our head, of our heart, and of our hands. As C.S. Lewis, I love this quote from him. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. So in this series, we're, as we're talking about this, these words, bearing witness, which might be a bit of a new uh, sort of phrase or a new idea, um, for some people it's a bit of a sort of older term. 
Um, we're also wanting to use this, this word flourishing as a bit of a touch point uh, word in, in this series. And, and the reason why we've picked out these, uh, diff- these words, that they are a little bit different maybe than our normal language, normal vocabulary, and sometimes it's helpful uh, for us to have a new word that kind of disrupts what's familiar so that we can have another look at something. Um, and so this word flourishing, we are, we are wanting to connect with the ideas of, of shalom, of peace, of joy and righteousness. Or we want to look at ideas of being in right relationship with God, with one another, with creation, with society, with those around us. And we want to talk about living with a sense of contentment, completeness, and wholeness in Jesus. Now, your initial reaction to the word uh, flourishing may be indicative of your current worldview or the lens in which you currently see God, yourself, and the world around you. The the biblical flourishing, uh, or the idea of flourishing from a biblical perspective, is not about individual prosperity or individual happiness. Flourishing from a biblical perspective is usually in the context of a community. So I'll use the term the flourishing community of God. And actually, for us to be a witness to the kingdom of God that only comes through the flourishing community of God. From a biblical perspective, it's actually impossible to be a witness to the kingdom on your own. And so when we, when we bring that up against what is a Western uh, secular worldview, which is really based on individualism, it really starts to disrupt what is a, a secular worldview um, of flourishing. And so we really want to emphasize that all of these ideas of flourishing are are actually the redemptive works of the Spirit at work in us. And so we live from flourishing, not towards flourishing. We are not trying to earn something here. We are the people who have been restored, are being restored, and will be restored. And and ones who are bearing witness to that restoration that is taking place in us. So I believe that the very vocation of the church is to be a witness to God's redemptive rule and reign in our lives. And that looks like often unexplainable, but yet undeniable flourishing. See, sometimes we can't put words to what God is doing in the spirit. Like You can't wrap your head around God's heart. God is a heart-to-heart God. And there are sometimes uh, people could walk into this room this morning and some would have gone, "Ah, God's presence. I can't wrap words around this, but it's undeniable. And others would have come in and gone, this is a bit weird. But there's something about a restored heart that has a, like a new and fresh connection with the heart of God. And so the people of God bear witness to this restoration, this changed heart, this changed way of seeing, living, and acting. So we live in an increasingly secular, an increasingly secular society, and, and this, a secular society is increasingly pursuing the desire to be its own God. That's really what's going on, the desire to be its own God. Uh, there's a, 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 like a really well-known uh, atheist author. Um, his name is Yuval Noah Harari. 
which is an interesting name. Uh, he wrote a book called Homo Deus. Uh, and in it, he writes that Western society has basically conquered every great threat against humanity, war, disease, and famine. And all that is left is, to pursue, is the pursuit of pleasure and extending our lifespan. He is basically saying this, there is no purpose to life but the pursuit of individual pleasure. We have achieved everything. All that's left is just to pursue pleasure and live a bit longer. When I, when I heard that, I, it's, I, it sounded to me like a familiar story. We have done everything. Let us build a tower that brings glory to ourselves. See, this is what it means to flourish from a secular worldview. It's, it's individual health, wealth, and happiness. There's a sense that, that Western secularism right now is trying to transcend humanity, but is in fact actually putting us on a, a course towards more and more, a more and more dehumanized state. We see this worldview attaching itself to Christianity with things like moralistic therapeutic deism, and if you don't know what that means, look it up, but I have talked about it a few times before, um, and, and the prosperity gospel. Where Jesus is seen as some sort of divine genie. If you rub him the right way and have enough faith, then all of your dreams will come true and you'll be happy, wealthy, and healthy. A few years ago, I was uh, uh, with a, a young woman who was in our church. Uh, she no, no longer lives here, but um, for me, this like just came flying out at me with this little interaction. But she was um, drinking a, an energy drink and um, you know, a V or a Red Bull, I can't remember what it was. But uh, I said to her, oh, you know, hey, they're, they're not particularly healthy for you. They're not really good for your body. Um, just trying to help her. Uh, and her response to me was, oh, it's okay. I, I, I'm full of faith and I can do whatever I want. I want. God will heal me. Oh, she was not joking. That was totally her worldview, that, that I can do whatever I want with my body, whatever I want to do. I, I've got faith, God will, God will heal me, God will, you know, sort it out. I'm like, that is not faith. That is faithlessness. It's, that's not the Christian gospel. <laughs> See, biblical flourishing is not the transcending of humanity, but it's actually the redemption of what it means to be human. It's getting back to the original identity and purpose, our vocation as humans. And this is actually not only, the Bible paints it like this, that the Bible starts with Eden, ends with Eden. In the meantime, we are supposed to show the world what Eden looks like. And so what was at the start, we are going back to, but the Bible also paints it as our future hope. So the flourishing community of God, in some sense, we are supposed to be like time travelers living in a future reality now, which is actually just a redemption of what was lost. So think of it like this, that, that the world is, is, is operating on two, two train tracks. There are two train tracks. Right now, they are running side by side. Now, there is one train track that has an end. Its, its destination is destruction. It is coming to an end. It is a set point in time where that train is going to crash. The tracks are running out. And there is another train track running along at the same time. And one is the kingdom of the world. One is the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, as people of faith, as people of the flourishing community of God, we have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness and been translated into the kingdom of light. We are now are, are on a different train, on a different track with a different destination. But they are both operating at the same time. One train track, one train, the, the, you know, the, the wheel bearings are shot, you know, it's getting wobbly, the, the seats on the train are, are uncomfortable and falling apart, like it, this, this train track has no conductor and it's heading for nowhere. But we are the people who are living on a different set of values, a different kingdom. We are on a different train and this train track has no end. It's heading towards eternity. Now, for us to bear witness to this new way of living, this new kingdom, we cannot be in fear of the old one. Like we, we're called to li just live a different way, to bear witness to the kingdom that there is a new train, there is a new train track, and it's leading towards life. And in fact, while it's leading towards life, it is also life-giving. This is what we are called to be a witness to. See, the promise of resurrection life is on display now through the called-out, set-apart people of God. That's us. In this reading we read this morning, it said, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. See, we, we are set apart for, on behalf of, for the benefit of. And so set apart has to do with distinction. It has to do with distinction. What is it that makes the church distinct? In a world of individualism where it's all about me and my rights and my wants and my desires and my freedom, the church is distinct in its willingness to lay down their lives for the benefit of others. Set apart from, for the benefit of. So serving one another, loving one another is our distinctive. That's what makes the church set apart. But a church that sets its distinctive only in what it doesn't do or what it's against is actually a poor misrepresentation of the embodied gospel. It's only half the story. If it was about what we don't do and what we're against, then Colossians 3 would have finished after it said put off. But no, the gospel was a put off and a put on. See, by this they will know that you are my disciples, that you are my set apart people, that you are mine, that you love one another. Not by how right we are, not even by how well behaved we are, but by how we love one another. See, the highest virtue is love. And it says, over, and over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. The highest theology is love. See, this, this theme runs right throughout Scripture. So the idea of Israel's identity um, through the Old Testament was always countercultural to the ancient nearest cultures around it. Um, and so it was always connected to this idea of being uh, the image of God, that Israel was the image of God. It was, it was bearing witness to the image of God. And, and that's no different for us today. 
This is the same vocation that we are called into. And the moment we think that our identity is connected to our image, we are no longer living the alternate way of Jesus and his way of flourishing. See, our identity is connected to his image, not our image. See, we are the spirit-filled people of God chosen for the purpose of bearing witness to the kingdom of God. And so we either live to bear witness to our own image or we live to bear witness to his image. It's not just putting off that displays the glory of God. It's the putting on that displays the glory of God. So I've got a short video that I want to show um, this morning. Uh, which just helps to bring this whole idea of what it means to be a witness uh, in, from an um, overview of Scripture. So are we able to play that? Is that ready to go? <gasps> cool, it's a great video, eh? Really helps to bring that through. So this idea of human flourishing is a, is a key theme woven throughout the entire Bible. Um, The theme brings context and light to the many stories of God's relationship to humanity um, and Scripture, and and also our failure and Israel's failure uh, to flourish outside of God's will and to turn, and in turn, a failure to actually bear witness to our vocation as image bearers. See, this all points to the very nature and goal of God's redemption for us in Christ, who promises us eternal and abundant life in Him. See, if if human flourishing is the what, then bearing witness to the kingdom is the why, and living under the redeeming rule and reign of Jesus is the how. So how do we get here? How do we get here in our society, in our world, where we would probably look around our world and say it doesn't look much like the kingdom of heaven. And for us to do that, we need to go right back to the start of Scripture and we look at Genesis and we see that what God created was good. The word there is tov. It was good. And the the word good or tov, it speaks of ideas of beauty and order. Not necessarily perfect, but ordered. It's talking about things that have beauty and are life-giving. And in Genesis 3, we see that humanity through Adam and Eve, who they choose autonomy from God. They are deceived with this lie from the serpent that, that God is somehow withholding something from them and that if they ate the fruit, then they will be like God. And so they eat. But instead of becoming more like God, they become more and more animalistic. They become more beast-like. And we see this in the continued narrative of Genesis through right through the chapter 11, that humanity continue, continues on this downward spiral. And we've got a little graphic there um, for that. And we see that, that um, humanity becomes, um, it's, it's like an ingrown toenail. It's like humanity is folding in on itself. Whenever we live outside the rule and reign of God, humanity collapses in on itself. And we see this total rupture in Genesis 3 between the relationship with God 
In Genesis 4, we see a total rupture of interpersonal relationships with Cain and Abel. Uh, in Genesis 6, we see society is, is, is rupturing. Uh, and then we see a total rupture of creation in Genesis 6 with the flood. And so there's this like, it, it's like humanity is just collapsing in on itself. And it's like God starts again with um, after the flood, but it actually just happens again. The same narrative goes around again and it ends uh, in Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel. And so this is the story of, of humanity rupturing relationships and folding in on itself whenever we live outside of the rule and reign of Jesus. I mean, we, I hope that you would have seen as we traveled through the sexuality series that, that we are totally seeing that in our world. The, the secular narrative of sexuality is heading for a total collapse. Uh, in, in my generation, as I was growing up, um, the sexuality was, was divorced from relationships. Uh, where we are now and where we are heading, sexuality is becoming divorced from what it means to be human. And, and so what, what we are left is we are left with the, what, with the most anxious society the world has ever seen. Our world is totally anxious. Yet we live in the most advanced society that we've ever seen. We have everything at our fingertips, but secularism is failing. So in a world that is becoming increasingly anxious and has no context for suffering, we can, should, and we must bear witness to the non-anxious presence of Jesus. So this is what we are called to, to bear witness to something that is countercultural to what is happening in the world. We are supposed to be distinct, different. What is it that sets us apart? We are the non-anxious presence of Jesus in an increasingly anxious society. We don't actually need to wage war against what's happening in the world. We just need to bear witness to a new and living way. We are the non-anxious presence of Jesus in an anxious world. See, anxiety is the result of two things. Well, this is what I think anyway. It's the result of two things. It's the sense that this is all up to me and I can't be trusted. Or I have no control over my life and no one can be trusted. See, but in Jesus, we can anchor our, our lives to someone that is trusted. See, a life not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus is like a boat anchored to itself. It's unable to withstand the waves of life. So what is, what is God up to? It's <laughs> a good question right now, eh? What is God up to? Good question. One thing I do know is that God is in the business of restoration. He is restoring all things back to the original identity and purpose. I'm currently on a train and I'm being restored. I have been restored, I am being restored, and one day I will be fully restored to my original identity and purpose. 
What's the will of God for my life? Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, whoever I'm with, be a witness to it. But there is one place where it is fully Like, yeah, there's one place where it it is all-encompassing this whole idea of bearing witness, and that is in the flourishing community of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but I can't love one another by myself. This is how they will know that you are my disciples, and you love one another. I can't do that on my own. It's only in the flourishing community of God can we do that. See, we advance the kingdom through our doing, and that's good. But we bear witness to the kingdom in our being. See, Jesus didn't pay a price to just get us into heaven. He has, is, and will continue to redeem sons and daughters and put heaven right inside of us. See, salvation is like like the restoration of sonship rights, sonship authority, and sonship intimacy. Why would he do that? Listen, if it was just about getting into heaven when we die, all of that is irrelevant. Why, why is he restoring you now? For what end? For what purpose? Is it so that you can be happy? No, because he wants you to be a display of his glory. He wants you to be an advertisement for his goodness. He wants to put on full display a redeemed and restored humanity in and through him. This is the vocation of the church. The church does not exist as a means to itself. The church does not exist to build itself, to advance itself. The church exists to bear witness to the kingdom. So how does he do this? How does he do this? He restores the way we see. It's an inside-out job. He wants to restore the way that you see him, first and foremost. Then he wants to restore the way that you see yourself. Then he wants to restore the way that you see those around you. He wants to restore the way that you see creation. He's restoring you. As you walk with him, you are being formed and shaped by him and restored and renewed. And it's this beautiful journey. And as we do that, we are showing the world what he looks like, how good he is, what his kingdom's like. See, Jesus said himself that he's come to save that which was lost. What was lost? All that was lost in the garden. Heaven, heaven was lost in the garden. And he's wanting to restore that in you, through you, and around you. See, Jesus said, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
He's saying the time is, has arrived. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. It's here now. Change your mind. That's what repent means. Turn from your way of seeing God, from the old way of seeing God. Turn from your old way of seeing yourself. Turn from your old way of seeing those around you and trust in Him. Put off the old and put on the new. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The music team can come back, that'd be great. Thanks, Josh and... Others. Yeah. See, God wants us to flourish. He wants your marriage to flourish. He wants your relationships to flourish. But his primary reason for that is not so that we can be happy, but because our flourishing bears witness to who he is. See, the image of God is at stake here. See, if we are not growing up into the fullness of God, then we are increasingly putting our image on display, not his. J.I. Packer says that the theology that theology is for achieving God's glory, honor, and praise, and humankind's good through every life activity. If these definitions come close to capturing the biblical approach to, to theological ed- education, then listen to this: then the only theology that is truly Christian is the one that is embodied. In other words, if the Christian faith is about what is going on in your head only, you have missed the point. The Christian faith is an embodied one, a lived out one. When we can have all of the right beliefs, and I'm going to get into this next week, you can have all of the right beliefs and not reflect the image of God. Hmm. We're going to um, just gather around communion now, and we're just going to take a time to reflect. Um, We've got a slide here with a a couple of just reflection questions, and uh, we're just going to do this around communion for the next few weeks and just see how it goes. Have we got that slide? No, not on there? Oh, there it is. Okay. So, so these are just a couple of questions as we respond this morning and gather around communion. Let's reflect. What did you hear from God today? What has God said to you this morning? And what are you going to do with what you've heard? What are you going to do with what you've heard? Just as we come around um, the table this morning, and it's, you know, we gather around this time and we, we think of, of Jesus and what, what he did on our behalf. 
you know, when, he, when he went to the cross. And I've been just really, um, I've just found myself meditating on this moment that Jesus had with Pilate recently. And uh, so before Jesus uh, went to the cross, he was, he was brought before Pilate and, and um, Pilate was the governor of, of, of Rome at the time. And, and um, Pilate asked Jesus, why, why are you here? What have you come for? And Jesus responds with this phrase. He says, I've come to be a witness to the truth. I've come to be a witness to the truth. And Pilate says to him, we ask him, well, what, what is truth? What is truth? What Jesus said to him is really profound. Really, really profound. I mean, this is the biggest question that... You know, what is truth? I mean, some people live their whole lives in the pursuit of truth. And here's the king of truth who's asked, what is truth? Jesus' response is so profound. He said nothing. He just hung on a cross and died. See, this is the incarnate God, the God who embodied humanity, embodied truth. When Pilate asked him, what is truth? Jesus didn't respond with, well, let me tell you. I'll put you right. He just put truth on display. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your spirit. Holy Spirit, without you, we don't reflect you well. Father, we thank you for your spirit who is alive in us. Not so that we can be right, but so that we have the boldness to live out who you are in this world. Yeah. We want to be people who bear witness to you, bear witness to your truth. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You showed us how (laughs) you're the greatest leader. You bear witness to the truth in your death and resurrection and then you called us to come follow you. (laughs) 
that tells us that the only way to truly be a witness to your kingdom is to lay our lives down like you did, to serve one another, to love one another. Yeah, and we thank you for your spirit that empowers us to do this. Yeah. We thank you that your kingdom is breaking in. Yeah, we thank you that your kingdom is here now. We thank you that that means healing for the afflicted is here now. We thank you that that means restored hearts is possible today. We thank you that that means minds can be renewed right now. We thank you that restoration, oh, if your train had a name, it would be called restoration. The restoration train, all things being restored. We thank you for identities being restored. We thank you for hearts being restored, minds being restored. We thank you that in every broken place, you are weaving us back together with gold so that we can display your beauty in the world. Yeah, that's what you do. You take things that have been broken and cast aside and you hold them up and you recreate them and say, look at how beautiful this is now. Yeah, and I thank you that our lives be a witness to your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Man, you're good. Yeah. Oh, you're better than we ever imagined. Oh. Why don't we stand this morning?